You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Thank you, Brother Ken, for that. And I hope that's your prayer this morning, is that, you know, there's a, God has a bigger plan for your life than probably we even realize. And uh, if you would submit yourself to his plan, I mean, just imagine how much better it all would go for us. And yet we, we have to hold on to those things. I appreciate that song this morning. Thank you very much, Brother Ken. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 15, Genesis 15 this morning. And as you, as you turn there, if you would, would stand out of respect of God's word in honor of God's word, Genesis 15 is where we're going to be. We're back in our series in Genesis this morning after a couple of weeks off. Our text today is, is a, and I really want you to lock in, it's of particular significance because it deals with something that every man and woman and child will have to be confronted with at some point in their lives. Um, the requirement to have a personal relationship with God is not done on our terms. You know, God is creator, therefore he gets to set the terms. And I want you to see something this morning. This is the most important choice you'll ever make. If you're going to personally know God, this is the most important choice you'll ever make. And it really leads well into an application that I think we could, we'll need to hear this morning. And it, it's possible to know God. But again, we don't get to select the terms. I want to look at this account from Abram's life and get right into it this morning. And I think it could give us some insight. Genesis 15, it says in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Saying, I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now, don't miss the truth, the significance of this truth this morning. An understanding of Abram's belief is the key to your relationship with God. See, I'm praying that God will this morning, and I'm being very transparent up front, that God in this morning would give every person in this room clarity on this subject today, having faith that counts. Faith that counts. See, the truth is, most of mankind, most of humanity, most of the world is trusting in something that doesn't count. And we ought to be sure this morning that does not apply to us. I don't know about you, but I want faith that counts. And I hope you do too this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you bless the reading of your word. Help us, Lord, to, to really uh, lock in. I pray that you keep us free from distractions. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to have focus on you. And, and you never know what someone might be on the verge of, Lord, a decision that might not, they might be on the verge of making. 
And Lord, help us each then to be mindful uh, to not distract somebody else from what you might want to do in their hearts this morning. Pray that you bless the reading of your word in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I read a news article. Um, this, this actually took place in 2008, but it stood out to me. There was a man named uh, Joel Ifergen who in 2008, he's from Canada, he went into a convenience store to buy a, a lottery ticket. Now, I'm not condoning the purchase of lottery tickets and per, you know, gambling or things like that. I think there are much more responsible ways to spend and make your money. Okay, I'm just going to say that up front. Didn't know if I'd get a lot of amens, but you know, that's my opinion on it this morning. Um, but you know, he went and bought a lottery ticket and went to this convenience store. And as he walked up to the desk, the, the clerk said, okay, you've got to hurry because it's almost nine o'clock and we need to complete the transaction here. So he bought the first one and then he bought another one, of course. And the second one that he bought, um, as it came printing out, he, he realized at, at, whatever, at whatever point, he realized that that second ticket that he bought was a jackpot winner. Uh, 21 million U.S. dollars. So he scratched it off or whatever you do with those. I don't know. I can be honest about my, my ignorance of this subject. But he scratched it off or whatever happens, realized it's a winner. He went to claim the ticket and they told him this ticket is invalid because it printed off seven seconds after the deadline. So $21 million, he was seven seconds away from $21 million. And he, so he went and he appealed and, and they said, no, those are the rules. It doesn't count. So he, he, uh, he brought up a lawsuit against the company saying it took too long to process the, ter- the, the, the ticket purchase. And for seven years, the lawsuit lingered until it got all the way to the Canadian Supreme Court. And they said, sorry, it doesn't count. Seven seconds too late and it didn't count. And you say, well, that doesn't seem fair. You know, that, that, that really, they should have just kind of made an exception. No, the truth is, um, you know, they set the rules. And if they set the rules, they get to decide what counts and what doesn't. And that thought will come back later as we see. We, we, we have some things in our lives that we want to make sure. We better make sure it counts. Because we'll, we, we could get down to the end and realize things that we thought were real and things that we thought were valid. Uh, if we get down to the end and realize they don't count, I mean, it's really all in vain. And Abram is coming to, God is actually coming to Abram here in our text and finding a fearful Abram. Abram is afraid that his past is going to affect his future. Look at verse 1 of chapter 15. Um, Abram, it says in verse 1, after these things, I'm just stop right there and just say, after these things, the battle, the, this is talking about the battle with Keterlaomer and those other kings. And we looked at that a few weeks ago and how Abram had taken 318 of his own house trained soldiers and they went and they, Lot had been taken captive by Keterlaomer and these four kings. And, and so Abram got his 318 servant soldiers. Uh, the green berets or the green yarmulkes is what I called them. And they went chasing after these kings and they chased them down and they defeated them in battle. And he got Lot back. It was an incredible victory with God's help. But even after that victory, Abram is obviously 
not feeling all that confident because after these things, God comes to him and the first thing he says is fear not. And it's understandable if you think about it. I mean, Abram was likely thinking, what if they come back? What if they regroup? What if they gather forces and they come back? It's not like I've got a huge army on my side. He's afraid. And you know, many of us, we, we live with after these things. Meaning that something has happened to us or we've made a decision in the past and we think it may come back to haunt us. It leaves us full of fear. You ever done something that weighed on your conscience and you just know it could come back at any moment and you grow paranoid and you go af- grow afraid? I'm not say- saying that Abram is in the wrong, but he's obviously not dwelling on the right things. He's afraid and he thinks that this past interaction with these kings could come back to haunt him and, and that, that's no way to live, friends. It's no way to live after these things. To focus on what's happened in the past. But we find out Abram's dwelling on the wrong things. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram. And I just want to say, I'm thankful that God's word provides alignment when we need it. I'm, I'm thankful that, that, that when we are most afraid and we're most unsure of ourselves, that God's word comes back reminding us that he has the answers. And I'm thankful. We, we were just talking about it this morning in Sunday school. Uh, Je- Jehovah Nisi, which, which means the Lord is our banner of victory. And we talked about how, how you know, you can know that whatever you face, God has the answer to. He's greater than anything that we've ever faced. If he can defeat your sin and he can overcome and conquer death, there's no problem that you have in your life that, that Jesus Christ can't help you overcome. We know that he has the answers. I'm grateful for that. Um, but look, so look what the Lord tells Abram. He says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram. And he tells him two things. I am thy shield and I am thy exceeding great reward. So why would he tell him that he's his shield? Well, I, I think that makes it apparent that Abram is thinking about he needs to be protected. God says, I'm your shield. Abram is thinking about potentially, I believe, thinking about these kings and their retribution. And so Abram is afraid. And God says, I am thy shield. In other words, I will protect you. But second, I am thy exceeding great reward. He said, well, what does that have to do with this? Well, obviously, this has to do with God's promises to Abram. This gives us insight into what Abram is thinking here. See, Abram is thinking about the promises that God had made him. Look back over in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, maybe you have to turn back, maybe you don't. Look at all the things that God has promised Abram. It says, now the Lord, verse 1, Genesis 12, these are the promises. The Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show you. So there's the first part of the promise is that God says, Abram, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you a country. Okay, that sounds pretty good. I mean, land is at a premium around Sioux Falls. It's hard to find some property. It's expensive. Well, God tells Abram, I'm going to take you to a land and it's going to be yours. Look at verse two. He says, and I will make of thee a great nation. Not only will you have property, I'm going to make a nation out of you. You'll turn into a, not just a nation, you're going to turn into a great nation. He says, I will bless thee. I'm going to give you great blessings and resources. I will make thy name great. What he's saying is, I promise that you will have a name that's well known and respected. Abram, you're going to be famous. Okay, I'm going to make thy name great. 
He says, and thou shalt be a blessing. You're going to be a blessing to other people. These are great promises. He says, I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. The, the ones that are on, on your side, I'll bless them. But the ones that come against you, I'm going to curse them. And he says the greatest promise, and these shall all families of the earth be blessed. Meaning that someday, and this is a reference to Jesus Christ and the prophecy, that someday your, your seed, which would be Jesus Christ, will come and he'll bless all families of the earth. Man, you talk about some great promises. These are great promises. And God comes to Abram and gives him these promises almost out of the blue. These are amazing. But listen, by Genesis 15, Abram still is without a son. And not only that, now he has a target on his back because all of these kings, he's defeated them. And in his mind, he's thinking, how are these promises going to happen in this situation? Or even thinking, what if I die without a son? If I die without a son, if that happens, all of these promises, they're going to go to somebody else. All these promises, I won't be able to enjoy them. I won't be able to pass them on. It's almost like Abram has a spiritual lottery ticket and he's thinking, but if I die, all these promises go out the window. I don't get to enjoy them. And here's where we start to see some faulty thinking. Abram thinks God's promises are somehow his responsibility. He's thinking that, that but, but wait, God, I mean, well, wait a second. I mean, uh, I, well, what about this? And what about this? He, and what, what about the promises? And what am I supposed to do? And do I need to come up with a different plan? And that's why God comes and says, no, I'm thy shield. I am thy exceeding great reward. Listen, I have everything that you need. He's saying, Abram, stop fretting. I am still protecting you. I am your reward. God's word says it's not about your enemies. It's not about the promises. Abram, listen, it's about me. And I know that sounds a little bit egotistical if a human being says it, but it's true when God says it. It's all about God. I mean, we, we don't have to make the promises come true if he's made them, we, if he's made a covenant with us and we know this was a unilateral covenant, meaning this was going to happen. I mean, Abram is fretting over these things, but God says, no, listen, Abram, I'm still here. I'm still your shield. I'm still your exceeding great reward. And I love the language there. Exceeding is abundance and great is multiplied. So it's almost like, you know, if you ever try to put a little bit of soap in a jacuzzi, Anybody ever tried that? I did once, filled up a whole bathroom. It was great, but then I got in trouble. So my wife came in and she was, no, just kidding. What are you doing? You know, exceeding great. That's the idea here is that it's already, a multi, it's already overflowing. But then he comes in and he adds a multiplier to it with great. That's the kind of resource. Listen, that's the kind of resource God is. He doesn't just give us barely enough. No, he fills it up and then he multiplies it. That's the idea. I love his assurance. I'm thy shield, thy exceeding great reward. It's poetic. It's also meaningful. And you'd think that'd be enough for Abram. But really it's not. Because Abram can't see past himself. Abram can't see past himself. Look at verse 2. And Abram said, Lord God. Now he starts out right. Okay, Lord God. That means master we looked at it this morning, Adonai. Adonai uh, means that you're my master. God, and this is a great way to start. It's, it's a great spirit to have. Listen, God has total possession, and therefore we should give him total submission. That's the idea. But as great as it sounds, Abram is expressing doubts along the way still. 
He's expressing doubts how it's all going to work out. Almost like, yes, master, I know that you're in charge. God, yeah, you're my, you are my exceeding great reward. I know that. But I'm looking around and I'm wondering, how is this going to happen? I, I, I believe, now listen, I believe Abraham had right intentions. And, and if, I, if I sound like I'm criticizing him, listen, he, he wants God's promises to come true. I truly believe he, he wants God's promises to come true, but it doesn't mean he doesn't have honest doubts which we do from time to time. And the cause for his doubt is simple. Remember, he's getting old. His wife doesn't have a daughter. Him and Sarah can't have a son together. And he says, okay, what will you give me if I don't have a child then? All these promises are dependent on me having a son. No son, no promises. These are valid questions. These are valid responses, natural responses. And listen, faith doesn't mean we never have doubts. It means that even when we do have doubts, we still trust God. That's faith. Abram's getting there, but he has to adjust his focus. Let's continue on with the thought flow here. Look at verse 3 again. He says, and Abram said, behold to me. And these are three important words that I don't know, we may not even notice reading through it. But I want you to think about the difference in language from God. God says, I'm your exceeding great reward. And Abram says, behold to me. Behold. He says, behold to me, thou hast given no seed, lo, one born in my house is mine heir. So, God, I'm your exceeding great reward. But Abram, no, behold, me, my house, mine heir. Behold literally means to see. It literally means to look at. You know, here's the, I would just want you to notice the contrast. God is saying, look at me. And Abram is saying, I'm looking at me. And it's easy to have a behold me mindset, friends. It's easy to think, well, if I've got a difficulty, I've got to figure this out. But the longer that we look to ourselves when we have the challenge, the bigger the challenge feels because our limitations grow bigger. I mean, it's, if you, it's like this. If you ever stared in the mirror long enough and maybe right up front it was okay, but the longer you stare, the more apparent your flaws become. Okay, just me. Well, that happens to me. If I stare long enough... Listen, I mean, usually my relationship with mirrors is, 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 is very um, trans, uh, trans, well, transitory. Meaning, like, I see a mirror, I'm like, okay, we're good. We're, I'm moving on here. Because if I stop and I look long enough, I mean, I've got daughters, okay? I've got four of them. And sometimes I think our mirrors should be paid more. <laughs> because they're always being used. <laughs> My mirror, on the other hand, rarely gets used. I'll admit that. But, you know, I, the longer you look in a mirror, the more evident your flaws become. Okay? And so that's, what hap- that's what's happening with Abram. God is saying, no, behold me. Look at me. I'm your exceeding great reward. And Abram's like, behold to me. Oh, well, this is my, my house. This is my heir. I have this servant. I mean, maybe this servant is the one that will be mine heir. And God is saying, no, I'm your exceeding great reward. And he's saying, no, I mean, Abram's looking at me. He's looking around and he's thinking, I've got to figure this out. And there are big challenges. There are enemies on one hand. There's no, no baby on the other hand. And God's promises are at stake. And friend, that's a lot of pressure. It's honestly, it's too much pressure. And the longer Abram stares in the mirror, the more evident his limitations become. So he says, well, one born in my house, Eliezer, he's this faithful man, he's my right-hand man, and I know he's not my son, but if I die, Lord, right now, if I die, if these kings come and kill me, and I die, there's nobody else, it'll all go to Eliezer. But that's not what God promised. 
And God said, no, I'm going to give you a child. I promise, I promise you this is going to happen. He's saying, master, you're in charge. I'm not, but in my, I'm in my 80s. I mean, sons don't come to guys in their 80s. You know, I mean, if this doesn't happen soon, listen, I get it. They are honest doubts, but his focus is off. And you know what has to happen? God has to turn Abram's head. Let's read again, verse 3. Abram said, behold, to me, thou hast given no seed. Lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came in him, saying, this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. I've already made that promise. And he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven. So Abram, listen, Abram is saying, behold me. And God is saying, no, behold the word of the Lord. In essence, Abram is saying, look at me. And God is saying, no, look at me. And when we stop looking at ourselves for solutions and we focus on God for his, that's when our doubts begin to turn to faith. See, again, it doesn't mean that there are no doubts. It's human to have doubts. And listen, there will be times when you go before God with doubts. And I want to encourage you today to be honest with God. Express those doubts. Do it in a respectful way. I mean, be careful about it. But he already knows your heart. You're not hiding anything from him without being disrespectful, without being accusatory. Express your doubts to God. Be real, be honest, but recognize at some point you've got to make a transition from looking at yourself and your doubts to looking at God. And that transition must someday take place where you no longer are doubting and the doubt turns to faith. You've got to stop looking at yourself and start looking to God. See, God confirms his promise. I will give you a son. And and listen, I will give you a son. It will happen. He says, but basically, essentially, I need you to stop looking at yourself, Abram. I need you to turn your head. Look now toward heaven, he says. When my kids were were little, uh, I used to, I used to, I would say, okay, it's time to go clean your room. Okay, the the ever grow, I mean, it's the problem that never goes away with, with children. So, okay, you need to go clean your room. And we always said, um, inspect what you expect. So, yeah, go clean your room. But I'll be in there, listen, I'll be in there in five minutes to check your progress. Well, that's that's terrifying to a child. I mean, and five minutes goes by like that to a child, especially when you spend four and a half of it coloring because you forgot you're supposed to be cleaning your room. So, maybe my kids are the only ones. So, you know, I've got five minutes. And so my kids, when they, when they would clean their room and they're, they're happy their room is clean, they would come out and they would say, Daddy, Daddy, our room is clean. And I'd say, well, okay, well, I'm going to come check it. And so they would, I, would, I would close my, I don't know why we did this little game, you know, you play. I'd close my eyes and they would take my hand. They would, they would close your eyes, we want you to be surprised. They'd take my hand, I'm walking into walls along the way. They're not very good at leading. And they take me to the room and they would say, okay, open your eyes. And I would be like, I don't see it. It doesn't look clean to me. And they're like, daddy, daddy, look down here. No, no, I don't see it. It doesn't look clean. And I I would just, you know, just a game you play. And so eventually I would get down and they would grab my face and they would turn my face to look at the room. Now I'm playing the chubby game. I'm not sure. (laughs) That old spiritual game in junior church. So they would turn my face. So I could see what they're talking about. And you know, that's what God is doing to Abram right here. Because Abram is thinking, behold to me. 
What about my house? What about my heir? What about Eliezer? What about these questions that I have, God? And he's looking inward and he's looking around. He's looking outward. And God says, no, it's time to turn your face and look upward. Stop looking at yourself. You can't make this happen. Stop looking at yourself. You can't fix this problem. It's time for you to stop looking around, stop looking inward and look up. That's the message. And if you look around long enough, you will get discouraged. I mean, to Abram, nothing seems to be going well. Kings are chasing you. Wickedness is, there's wickedness in Sodom. Lot is back over in Sodom. You're afraid for your life. You can't produce a child. And as long as you look around, Abram, you're going to have doubts. You will be discouraged. You will be depressed. Because no answers are coming from in or around you. And it's true for us. I mean, honestly, you look around and you will just be depressed. You know, you think the government really can help you fix the greatest problems in your life? I mean, do you really think that your, that your friends have the answers to your deepest needs? And as great as your family might be, do you think your family really can fill the biggest holes in your life? No, the hole in your heart can't be filled by you. It can't be filled by somebody around you. You've got to stop looking in and you've got to stop looking out. You've got to stop looking around and it's time to look up. And Abram, God says to Abram, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. Here's the idea. God is saying, look up. The one that hung the stars in place is holding on to your life. He has your future in his hands. So stop looking in, stop looking around and start looking up. And once Abram focuses on the person he discovers faith that the faith required to trust verse six this is this is what it says very clearly and it, he believed in the lord and it, and he counted it to him for righteousness this was what abram needed he believed in the lord and god counted that to him for righteousness he stopped looking to himself he stopped looking around And once he focused on the person who hung the stars, he finally discovered saving faith, faith that counts. Abram knew his hope couldn't come from within. I mean, if the God who hung the stars was telling him it was going to be okay, that's all Abram needed. And for the first time, Abram is not just calling God master, he's operating as if God is the master. And he turns his attention from his own plans and his own strength and his own wisdom. And he places his life solely and completely in the hands of the one who threw the stars into place. And it's at that point that God declares him righteous. And I want you to get this this morning. See, not perfect. God doesn't say, Abram, you're perfect. No, he declares him righteous, which means he's now justified, which means that that this was the moment that Abram finally discovered faith that counts. And, and all, thing, all was well between him and God. All he had to do, listen, was come to the end of himself and believe God in order to have faith that counted for righteousness. All it took was faith. See, belief. Abram did not, Abram did, all he did was stop and look around and, I mean, stop looking around and start looking up. He had to come to some sort of realization that he couldn't do it. And in the end, he simply had to place his faith in God's plan for his life. He had to let go and trust God. 
You had to stop focusing on the performance of the promises and just focus on the person behind it all. And listen, this is the nature of saving faith. And I really want you to lock in. This is the nature of faith that counts. It's time to stop looking in. It's time to stop looking around. And it's time to start looking up. And here's why. Because you're, incapable, you're incapable of saving yourself. You can't. And here's why. Because you're a sinner. Listen, God, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And I know that's not a popular message in our culture today, but every person alive has a sin nature and therefore is a sinner. We have all broken God's law. We all stand guilty before him. And so for us to think that I can find the answer in myself when I am just a sinner before God, that's a foolish way to think. I don't, I'm incapable of saving myself. And listen, you can work all you want and you would never satisfy God's demand for sinlessness. You can't do it. Stop looking at yourself for salvation. These are the two things about faith that count. The two qualifications is that you are incapable of saving yourself. But listen, the God who hung the stars is capable of saving your soul. He's creator, so he gets to decide how it's done. But he's holy, it must be done on his terms. But he's also loving in that he already did the work on the cross through his son, Jesus Christ, for you. And this story parallels salvation in that we're afraid of death because something in our past. And we're thinking, behold to me, what can I do to fix this? What answers do I have? I'm looking inward, I'm looking around and thinking I've got to come up with a solution. But listen, sin is too big a problem for me to fix. We must stop looking in, we must stop looking around, and we must look up and behold God's word. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Behold the stars, behold the one behind it all. And and listen, we need to hear God's message this morning that says, and when it comes to salvation, when it comes to faith that counts, I'm all you need. Abram believed God. And it was counted into him for righteousness. And here we get into the thought that I really want you to get. The only faith that counts is faith in God plus nothing. Not faith plus your good intentions. And listen, you may have a good heart and you may have good intentions. And you may think, well, you know, I, I've got the right motives. And listen, but I mean, there's some truth there and some not. in that our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know them? The Bible says. So we think that we have good intentions, but your intentions, you might say, well, it's faith. Yes, but I've got good intentions. God will let me, allow me to go over the edge with my good intentions. He'll, he'll count that. No, it doesn't count. It's not faith plus religious works. Those don't count. It's not faith plus my plans. No, the only faith that counts is faith in the one who hung the stars. We have all these other thoughts. Well, I've been baptized. I mean, it's important. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be baptized. It's a good thing to do. It's obedience um, to Christ as a follower. We've got uh, one getting baptized this morning at the end of the service. It's a good thing to do. Um, but, But it's not about a work that helps you get to heaven. Baptism is not a, a, a matter of salvation. It's a matter of obedience. And so once you're a believer and you get baptized, that's fine. It's a step of, of, of obedience. But listen, baptism is a work. And if you're trusting in baptism to get you to heaven, that faith doesn't count. You say, well, you know, my, I grew up in a church and my parents were Christians. No, listen, God has no grandchildren. 
Your relationship with God must be yours alone. That your parents' faith doesn't count for you. I was raised religious. I I go to church. I'm a good person. I'm sure those things are true. And I'm sure, sure compared to the rest of the world, you are. But are you good compared to a holy and sinless God? And if you're not, then that faith doesn't count. The only faith that counts is faith that in no way beholds yourself. It's not about you. It's not about performance. It's not about religious activity. It's not about good intentions. It's about this fully and completely trust in God's plan. We are sinners and he is not. Our sins means that we, are, we deserve to be eternally separated from him forever in a place called hell. And God knew we could do nothing to take care of our own sins. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross in our place for our sins. To become sin for us so we could be, become his righteousness. He was buried and for three days he was in the earth. But he rose to life on the third day. He defeated our sin. He conquered death. And it's your greatest problem is sin and death. And the only answer is faith in Christ, the Son of God. Behold him, not you. He can take care of that problem. Faith in Christ plus nothing else. Turn over to Romans 4. And we'll look at a a couple verses that connect here. Romans chapter 4 in the New Testament. In case you think, well, this is an Old Testament story. I'm not sure... How much it applies? Well, this story is, is, re, is recounted by Paul in the book of Romans chapter 4. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I just want you to see a couple verses here. Look at Romans chapter 4 verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham or Abram, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. You know what it's saying, these verses are saying, listen, Abram, it wasn't about Abram's works. It wasn't about what he earned. He could not have earned any of it. And he says, if he had earned it, he would be like the rest of us. And he would have had something to glory about. Um, For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. What? Lest any man should boast. Listen, if it was about your responsibility to work and make it happen for yourself and find the answers in yourself, you would brag about it. You would boast about it. That's the human nature. And I'm not trying to say you're worse than anybody else. I mean, even Abram would have bragged about it. He would have had something to boast about. That's the idea. It's not, it's not works plus faith. It's not faith plus anything else. It is faith in Christ alone. That is the only answer to salvation. Look down at verse 13. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Do you get the idea? Listen, it's either faith or it's works. It can't be a combination of the two. It's either all faith or it's all works. You can't have a little bit of both. Abraham couldn't have earned it if he wanted to. Faith only counts when it's only faith. Faith plus something else is no longer faith. That's the idea here. Now listen, if I've got something that hopefully will wake you up this morning. I've got two jars of candy up here. And we could treat this like Bible school, vacation Bible school. And I start throwing this out and watch all of you scramble under the pews. So I've got in one, please don't drop these. 
I've got in one hand, I've got M&Ms, okay? On the other hand, I've got Skittles. Now, it is the best amen of the whole day, and it's about Skittles. So, team M&Ms? Okay, team team Skittles? Okay, all right. So, I'm going to put these up again. Why do I even preach the Bible? I just talk about candy. I mean... You've got these two jars, and you've got one. We're going to say, I personally prefer Skittles, so I'm going to, I know I'm weird. (sighs) We need to talk after this. So I'm going to say that Skittles represents faith. This represents our faith, okay? And this this is faith in Christ alone. And over here, um, we have works. And this is, so this represents, most of us in here, are rep, when it comes to our relationship with God, one of these represents us. See, if you've got a right view of your relationship with God, you realize it's not anything of me, it's not about me saving myself, I can't do it on my own, and it's all faith. If you think, well, I've got you know, this in my background, this religious thing, and I, I've got this religious act, or I've got baptism, I've got this work, and I'm trusting in those things to help along the way, then you've got works. Now, listen, the difference, what, what the whole concept here today is that any combination of M&Ms and Skittles may look great. If I was to mix these together, it would still look nice. Okay, it would be a weird taste. But you know, if, if this is faith and I have all faith and I'm trusting in Christ alone, except that, you know, when I was a child, I was baptized. And, and that work, I, I really, I think I'm going to hold on to that as part of that process to have saving faith. And so you take that one time, I mean, just one tiny little work not even that big of a deal, and you drop it in the jar of faith, does that faith still count? Listen, if it's not all, only faith, all faith, it doesn't count. And if there's anything in your past that you're trusting in, a work that you're trusting in, uh, something in your life that you think, well, I can't really let go of that because I'm trusting in that. And say, yes, I I know it needs to be faith, but I've got these few things in my life. I'm just not sure that it's just Jesus Christ. I've got a few things in my life that I'm still trusting in. No, listen, one work in your jar of faith makes it no longer faith. It's either faith or it's works. And this morning, we must all come to terms with this. Because even if it's just one work in your jar of faith, that faith does not count. Faith that counts is trusting in Jesus Christ alone to do all of it for you. One skittle in this entire jar of M&Ms means it's tainted. It's not faith. You must be, listen, you must not be dependent on anything at all in addition to Jesus Christ. Anything plus Christ cancels out faith. And, and I want, you've got to come to terms with that this morning. And do you really believe that you and yourself as a sinner could help God solve your problem of sin? It's completely outside of you. It is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross in your place. You say, okay, I know what you're saying. It's only faith. How do I do that? Well, you believe. It's faith. 
It means that you place your trust in it. And you could say all you want. Like I could say all I want. Last week I stood on this pew. I'm not going to do that this week. But you know, if I said, I believe this pew can hold me up. I believe, you can believe it all your life. You can say, yes, I believe that. But listen, I don't really act on it until I take a seat and sit down in the pew. And that's exactly the, the idea of, of faith and placing your trust in. You can say all you want. Yes, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and his, he's the only answer to my sin problem. But there must be, come a point in time in your life that you don't just say it. You don't just say, Master. You don't just say, yes, I believe it. No, you actually make the decision to take the seat in the place that you say, yes, that's the only answer. Faith is just empty faith. Unless you decide to, to take a, uh, make a decision to place your trust in it. Faith means you stop trusting in your efforts to secure God's favor because you can't. And you trust in his son's finished work on the cross. You turn from your efforts and you look to God alone. You stop looking in. You stop looking around. And friend, it's time for some, maybe even in this room, to start looking up. Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, I'm here, I'll read it. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Listen, it's not saying that you've got to go and here's the list of things you've got to do at your church in order to please God and be saved, have, have faith that counts. No, it says you simply believe. Believe in your heart. And then when you cry out to God, that's like taking a seat, making a decision, crying out to God and saying, God, there's no other option. I have no other chance. I have no other choice. My sin is greater than anything I could ever overcome. And yet your son died for it and he paid the penalty. And I received that. Our attempts at fixing life's problems very often complicate the simplicity of faith in Christ. And we think we've got to come up with it on our own. Listen, I'm here to tell you this morning, the work is done. You simply need to make the decision to accept his payment or not. And this translates into life as well. You may be a follower, you may be a child of God, but faith and salvation becomes the same kind of faith in following God in that maybe you're a child of God and you're facing something bigger than you ever have like Abram was and you've crunched the numbers. And you've tried to figure it out and you're looking in and you're looking around and you have nowhere to turn or look except up. Faith is trusting in God's God plus nothing. It's time to stop making it work on your own and go to the one who hung the stars. Not behold me, but behold God's word. Not behold me, but behold what God has done. Not behold me, but God himself. If he sent his son to die for you, friend, there's no problem he can't solve for you. Our response to life is to look within and look around, but faith means we look up. With no mixture of effort or intention, religious activity, faith in his provision alone. And I mean, I'll be honest with Abram, life, life is fearful. It causes fear. And your past may be fear-inducing, but the person who hung the stars is faith-producing. So turn from your insufficient efforts to God's sufficient plans. That's faith that counts. Listen, I want, my, I want my faith to count, but it will never count if I have it in myself. 
I can't withstand that kind of pressure. I need faith in someone greater than me. And listen, fortunately, a look at the stars is really what I need to remember who, who can be trusted. And I want to say it this way as we close. God challenged Abram to count the stars. And Abram couldn't. Now, God could. He, knew, he know, knows each star. He put them there. And here's faith that counts. If God can count the stars, I can count on him. If God can count the stars, I can count on him. Trial, you've got a problem in your life. You can't fix those situations. You can't change a heart. You can't heal. You can't even pay your bills. But you can trust the one who counts the stars. In salvation, listen, what are you trusting in? Jesus Christ, the finished work on the cross, is there as an offer. And all you have to do is by faith, place your faith in his finished work. That's all. I mean, it's like the lottery, spiritual lottery ticket, and all you have to do is pick it up. And yet some in this room this morning are thinking, well, I'm not sure I can, I, I want to take that step. Why? Because what we've learned from Abram's life is that any answers you try to find in yourself and around you won't be good enough. So when you die, if you've died without Christ, then you deserve, we all deserve it, eternal separation from him forever. Or receive his payment and spend eternity with God in heaven forever. You tell me. I mean, those, that's an offer you almost can't refuse. And this morning, all God is asking of you is to stop trusting yourself and your works. And, stop, and start trusting by faith 100% God's finished work. Jesus Christ on the cross. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I know this is a salvation focus this morning, so I, I do feel like I need to ask you a couple of important questions today. Do you know 100% for sure that you're on your way to heaven? If you would say this morning, yes, I know 100%, I know that if I died today, I have settled this with God, I've had faith that counts, and you say, with a raising of my hand, I know that eternity is settled for me. So raise, just very quickly, raise your hand, I'm looking around the room. Most hands are raised, and I'm thankful for that. You can put your hands down. But I'm asking the question now to everyone else that did not raise your hand. And you say, well, you know, I, I thought that I had it figured out. But, you know, you're talking about these things and even some things that I've been trusting in. And, and I'm just not sure what I think of it. Well, listen, if it's, if it's faith in anything except Christ, it's not faith that counts. And I want to encourage you, you say, I don't know that if I died today, I would, that I would be on my way to heaven. I'm not sure about that. And would you pray for me? If you just real quick lift your hand up, I'm looking around the room, and I'll pray for you. I see one here. Thank you for that hand. In the middle here, looking over to my left from the, by the piano and scanning, looking for hands. I've got one that very clearly raised, raised their hand. Anybody else, you say, if I die today, I don't know. That if I died, I would be on my way to heaven. I don't know that if I have faith, it counts. Okay, I see another over to my right. Thank you for that. So we've got two that publicly have, have declared they're not sure. And I want to tell, talk to you too. i I'm not going to point you out. I don't want to embarrass you. 
But I just want to mention and tell you today that Jesus Christ is making the offer to you in salvation right now. And because you're not guaranteed life tomorrow, why not take him up on his promise? Place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, completely, wholly, completely, totally surrendered to what he has done and not trusting on anything that you've done in your life, saying, God, whatever it is, Jesus Christ, please, I I ask you, I trust you, would you save me? Cry out to God. Admit that you're a sinner. Know that you're on your way, separated from God forever if you don't receive his payment. And this morning, you can place your, your trust in the finished work of Christ. I want to encourage you, those that raised your hands, would you respond this morning? I know it takes some courage. In a moment, we're going to stand. I want to give you the opportunity to come forward. We could have people down here that meet you with a Bible and show you from God's word. If you'd rather talk after, please let us know. We want to help you with that. But for those that, are, that, that know that they're saved, listen, we too, though, can get so wrapped up in the challenges around us that we forget to look up. And, and we forget that the answer doesn't come within or without. It comes above. And I'm telling you this morning, the one who can count the stars, you can count on him. Whatever problem you're facing, you don't have to do it alone. You've got somebody in your side that wants to help you if you would stop looking around or looking inward and start looking up. Is there anybody here this morning you say, I, I think my focus has been wrong. I need to look in a different place. I haven't been looking up. Anybody real quick, just to raise a hand, looking around the room. We've got some hands going up around the room. Thank you for that. If, listen, if God's worked in you in either of these areas, salvation or also just totally trusting God, would you respond this morning? We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.